0: Well, we made it. The NBA regular season is over. The play-in tournament is on deck. And the postseason is right around the corner. What's up, guys? Keep it at 94. Spencer Davies, Brian Fritz. Another episode brought to you by the thebasketballnews.com podcast network. And boy, oh boy, it is fun to be talking about the playoffs. I know that everyone was a little down with the dog days of the season, but we're finally here. Everyone can stop complaining. We've got great matchups set for us. At least three of them are set. Not, not actually six. I can't do math. There are six that are (laughs) set and uh, two to be determined. But all in all, going to be a good, good week here in the NBA. Lots of eyes on this play-in tournament. And uh, whether for for better or worse, we are getting a set of games that we have not seen before, at least outside of a bubble environment. So with that and fans returning to the stands, at least at some capacity, should be a fun, fun time. And uh, I'm pretty excited about it. I know about you.
1: I know we're going to talk about some of the playoff matchups that we already know about. We're going to start off talking about the play-in matchups. But we've talked about this the last couple of weeks, about potential matchups. And then now we're actually here. And it's not just potential matchups. It's we're going to see these things. Yes, sir. And um, there is some uh, incredible matchups, even in the first round. I mean, just, just to get things going. I, I think the play-in tournament is going to be interesting enough. Um and for most of those teams, it's almost gonna be like um, you know, the lambs being fed to the lions, you know, when it comes to the first round. But you know what? You're gonna to try to get into the playoffs at least. You're gonna get in there, you're gonna give yourself, you know, a puncher's chance, you know. So you might exactly we'll see where it exactly. goes. But I mean, it's um it has been, like you said, a very, very interesting season. It has been a grueling season. Normally it's like you fight to get to the regular season and then you try to gruel your way through the playoffs, and in this season, it's kind of been the other way around, or at least, you know, we we got to see what's going to happen here in the postseason, but for the regular season, it was grueling with the number of injuries and COVID and all the extra responsibilities and things that players had to do, plus a very shortened offseason that they came off of and a season that began probably a month before most people even expected. But here yep. we are, finally, on the eve of the postseason, which is even why we're recording this podcast a full day earlier because we don't want to miss any of the action come Tuesday night.
0: No, not at all. And uh, that's a very good good starting point. The first game tomorrow is going to be the Indiana Pacers hosting the Charlotte Hornets. and then we will have the Boston Celtics hosting the Washington Wizards. And then Wednesday, We've got the Memphis Grizzlies hosting the San Antonio Spurs and capping it off, the Los Angeles Lakers hosting the Golden State Warriors in the first round of the play-in tournament. I don't want to be mean, so no,
1: but can we refer to them as the ghost of the Boston Celtics at this point?
0: Well, you're actually going to, knowing how I've talked about the Wizards on this podcast, you're actually going to be very surprised at my answer of who I think is going to win that Whoa,
1: game. Oh, don't tell me. Don't tell me.
0: Yeah, I do. I am telling you. I am telling you. I think that the Celtics are going to ultimately pull that one I off. Thought
1: go, I, I thought you were going to go. Even sans Jalen Brown. I thought you were going to go like, um, you know, the old Saturday Live uh, Bear skit. You know, hey, if you had Ditka against the other team, who would win? Ditka. I thought you were going to go. If Russ <laughs> faced the entire Boston Celtics by himself, who would win? Russ.
0: Don't mind me here, just, Bob, just having a heart attack.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but no, I reason being reason being uh, Boston will be at home. They have Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum has been on a tear. He's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. What are, what's the one thing the wizards can't do? It's stop anybody. Right. I know that the Celtics are offensively challenged, but for some odd reason, just knowing that the core Celtics have quote-unquote been there. You know, the Jason Tatums, the Marcus Smarts. Kemba Walker got a taste last year, and he's got a tone for it, right? They've got Evan Fournier, who's been shooting the ball very well. I think that Tristan Thompson could be an X-factor in this game mm. because, because he shows up in the playoffs. He's big time, and I know he's a little undersized, but It's not like the wizards have an an extremely experienced big man to give him problems. Sure. You can say Robin Lopez. I'm not going to go there with Alex Len. I don't think Alex Len should be playing much at all, especially with Daniel Gafford right there and, and bring, bringing them the minutes that he does, but he's also inexperienced, um, and, and could be prone to foul trouble as we've seen. Um, there's just something that, Gives me this inkling that everyone's just kind of assuming that the Wizards are moving on and beating the Celtics team who are a little downtrodden. But I think that Boston actually pulls this out. I really do.
1: The problem that I have with picking the Celtics in this matchup is when they have had their backs up against the wall, they have not been known to push back strong. And now their backs up are up against the wall. And without, you know, arguably their best, probably second best player in Jalen Brown. And, and mm-hmm. that's the problem now because Tatum is going to be double teamed like never before. The, the amount yep. of work that the workload he has to carry is an immense amount, you know, on both ends of the court, quite honestly. And he is going to be double teamed constantly. And he's going to be asked to do a lot of different things um when it comes to You know, recognizing the double team. Where is it coming from? Finding the open man, then getting the ball back. When do I want to challenge a double team? All these different things. And I just wonder if the ball gets out of his hands, who is going to be able to step up for the Celtics in this moment when it comes to offense? Because while the Wizards don't play any defense, and Bradley Beal is still not 100% as he deals with his hamstring injury, but the one thing the Wizards can do is score. I don't oh, yeah. know if the no question. can keep up with them at this point.
0: That is that's definitely doesn't vote in their favor. I understand that. Again, I think that Kemba is going to have a, a big game. He's going
1: to have to have a big game, uh, I, think,
0: I think. Well, yeah, that's th- there is pressure in that sense. But I just feel like knowing the shortcomings that he had in the postseason uh, last year in the bubble, uh, I, I feel like we're going to see Kemba Kemba. You know, and we haven't seen Kemba Kemba all too much. We've seen it a little bit since the end of March. Uh, and he has been averaging a whole lot more points, shooting the ball a lot better, um, you know, moving better, you know, stop on the dime Kemba, 16 footers, you know, though that's the kind of Kemba they need. I also have a feeling that Marcus Smart is for some reason just gonna have like a six to seven three point performance. I, I just There's just this inkling in my head knowing how Marcus Smart operates is that he's just going to be chucking away, like you said, because Tatum's going to be double.
1: But I mean, this is a Celtics formula that you're talking about from two years ago, and we've been waiting for it to kind of happen all Mm -hmm. season long. And there's been parts of the season where they've played better. Smart has had such an up-and-down season, partially because of his injury. I think he's still kind of wondering how to fit in. But the the Celtics' offense has been kind of topsy-turvy, which we've talked about before. It seems like it's very my turn, now your turn, now my turn, now your turn kind of a thing. And, I mean, I don't know if they're going to be able to put it together. I mean, I, I think we both agree that even if they make it into the actual playoffs, that I don't think they're going to make it out of the first round. But can they win a game against the Wizards? I think they can. I just don't think they will.
0: Oh, yeah. They'd be food to the Brooklyn Nets. Let's not even there's no this answer. No, about that. no. that, that um, series would but, be
1: like um like handshakes and hugs with Kyrie and making Celtics fans puke all over themselves. I mean, <laughs> come on.
0: But here's, here's a counterpoint though for you with the Wizards here. Bradley Beal's probably at 75-80%. If Russell Westbrook isn't the one who's scoring and Beal isn't hundred percent. Like for instance, in the first half against the Hornets, he looked absolutely dreadful. It didn't look like he was supposed to be playing out there. And then in the second half, they must've given him something at halftime because he came out busting off the dribble moves, shooting the ball uh, and, and looking like Bradley Beal. So if we get that deal, then yeah, th- this is a completely different conversation. But if we don't get that deal, is Rui Hachimura going to be able to step up? You know, a guy who's in his, second year, uh, you know, still kind of trying to figure it out, is Davis Berton's going to be hitting those threes that have been up and down, like I said, again, uh, this year. Ish Smith and Raul Neto, those guys are X factors. Raul Neto has been awesome for this team this year. Um, He's going to be relied on heavily when Russ is sitting or when Beal is sitting. Uh, Ish Smith was huge for the team in charlotte but can we depend on that in the playoff setting i don't know i don't know uh i'm not saying that the the Celtics are going to win going away i think it's gonna be a really good game and uh we've seen these two meet in the playoffs before there's a little history there uh if you remember the kelly Olynyk stuff and the the funeral wear that that uh happened in that series but um i, I just there's just an inkling on me just because uh, there's there's a lot good going for the wizards right now um but for some reason, I think that the Celtics finally realize they have to play in a first half, first of all, and, um, you know, put together a, a solid, solid game, uh, especially with their backs against the law, like you
1: said. The Wizards do not play in blowout games. Every game is a close game. Even if they're up by double yep. digits with three minutes to go, they will make it a single digit game. They will find a way to let you back in the game. So I, I agree it's going to be tight. I, I do wonder if Mr. Miyagi is stored away in the Wizards' locker room. Maybe that's what happened at halftime for uh, for Bradley Beal. Um, but they they definitely do need Beal because you are asking other guys that are not playoff-experienced guys to really step up, like you said, with Bertans and Hachimura. Like, who's going to be the other guy? I mean, believe it or not, Ish Smith weirdly has come up with some big – games of big moments, but this is like another level kind of a thing. So that's going to be, I think the key for the wizards is like, we can expect whatever from Russ, like he will will his way into having an impact on this game, but is he going to get enough from the other people? Especially if Beal isn't close to a hundred percent. I, I agree. I think he's probably at about 75% and that's almost surprising. He's that much considering how he looked in the first half of that last game.
0: Yep, he probably shouldn't have been playing. To be honest. He kept grabbing his hamstring,
1: uh, and you're sitting there thinking, "Why is he out there? Get him out, pull him." And then yeah. he came on the second half, and he was doing Bradley Beal things. And it's like, okay, well, uh, something's going on.
0: Yep, the loser of that game will face the winner of Indiana and Charlotte. I want to get your thoughts on this one because the Pacers kind of ended their season on a decent note. After all that Bjorkman reports came out. Uh, it looks like, you know, they've got some things figured out offensively. Domas Sabonis uh, looking really, really great again. They've been missing Malcolm Brogdon for a while now. Uh, and I believe that he is scheduled uh, to be questionable for Tuesday's game, which I'm going to guess that means he goes. Um, I like, you know, how Karis LeVert is is a guy that you could, could depend on if something doesn't go right on offense. He can beat someone one-on-one. He can uh, use dribble moves to get to the cup and to, to really facilitate. Um, I love, you know, guys like Edmund Sumner, uh, TJ McConnell. Uh, th- those are playoff like guys with Charlotte. This is interesting to me because okay, they get miles bridges back and he played really well against the wizards on, uh, on Sunday. I, I need Devante Graham to step up off that bench, make some threes. Um, you know, LaMelo is going to be in his first playoff-like environment in a long time. So let's see how he responds to that environment. We were just talking about Rui Achimura. Can P.J. Washington step up if someone is doubling a Terry Rozier or, you know, something else of that matter? The center situation there, are they going to be able to bang in the paint with a Domas? You know, is Cody Zeller going to be able to handle that? Is is uh, Bismack Miambo going to play with that? Or are they going to go small and, and put PJ at the five? Um, those are interesting things and thoughts that I have in my mind. But again, I'm going to go with the home team here with Indiana. Uh, they haven't had fans most of the season. And that's directly contributing to why they had a record under 500 at home this year. First time in years that's happened. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and give the nod to the team with, uh, you know, an all star. And, and, you know, a couple of borderline all-stars uh, love to see what, what Malcolm Brogdon can do when he comes back, but it just feels like there's a little bit better of a, a, a vibe coming into the playoffs than there was even just a week and a half ago uh, for the Pacers. And I didn't even mention, you know, the rise of, of Keelan Martin uh, who's, who's really, you know, stepped up in a big way. Justin holiday has been consummate professional, really, really consistent for them this season. Um, you know, they've got, they've got some, some solid pieces, And I just think uh, a little bit more uh, experience than this Hornets group. And this Hornets group is going to be a a, a team to look out for. But with no Gordon Hayward, uh, just hard for me to see them winning on the road in this type of uh, atmosphere. And
1: that's the big problem, is that they're without Gordon Hayward. And without him, I, I think it's going to be very difficult for them to win this game. If you look at the Hornets... They're six and 15 in their last 21 games, and that's without Hayward. You know, some of that was without LaMelo. And as good as LaMelo has looked to put this kind of load on him in his first ever postseason without a major weapon to work with as well, I think it's going to be very difficult. Sabonis is the best player on the court, and if he continues to do stuff like he did, you know, earlier this month, then I think the Pacers are going to win this matchup because. I mean, the Pacers can dominate them on the inside with Sabonis. And I think if you look at that that lack of playoff experience and where the Hornets are going to get some of their scoring or some of their playmaking, if you're able to, like, trap LaMelo, make him turn the ball over, like, who else is going to be that playmaker if you don't have Gordon Hayward or even just kind of that veteran hand that's out there to kind of, when you're in trouble, to kind of smooth things over. I mean,
0: the onus is honestly on Terry. Yes, it and, really uh, is. Terry did do a good job of that against uh the Wizards on Sunday. I will say that. Yeah. Uh but you make a great point with LaMelo and the turnovers because that was his biggest bugaboo since he's since he's come back. Uh is is being able to take care of the ball. You know, in between all the nice uh flashy passes and, and and great reads, he does have a tendency uh to make some some overaggressive plays and um not take care of the ball. So that's a really good point. And uh, against the Pacers, if you do that and you get them out in transition, Edmund Sumner is one of the best in the league at uh, getting out and running on the floor. So uh, that that would be a disastrous way uh, for the Hornets to do things. And the, the other thing, too, about the Hornets that, that really uh, kind of opened my eyes a little bit in that Wizards game, when they were up by 12 to 15 points, they never could hit that big shot to put the Wizards away they never got that 5-0 run that 6-0 run that didn't allow Russell Westbrook to wake up even uh towards the end of that game and and get going in the fourth and ultimately uh leading to a loss so I think that that portion of their uh inexperience is going to to hurt them uh against an Indiana team with players who have been in this playoff environment
1: so we're I think we're different when it comes to Celtics and Wizards and who's gonna win that. I think we both agree the Pacers. I think the interesting thing that at that point then is if we're right, we see the Pacers, you know, advance and they will play the loser between the Celtics and the Wizards. That could be very interesting from the standpoint the Celtics, a team that everybody had more or less penciled into the postseason at the beginning of the season, could be out, might not even make the playoffs. The Wizards, a yeah. team that has kind of had to fight back the entire season, would once again be in a position with, you know, backs up against the wall where they gotta win a game to sneak in and get the eight seed. For the Celtics, it could be disastrous. I mean, I, I don't think they're gonna win the Very first so. round. I think they could get smoked either by the Sixers or the Nets, quite honestly. Um, but you know, they're gonna fight to try to get in. And if they they don't even make it into the playoffs. Then that's going to be a really tough pill to swallow.
0: Oh, extremely, extremely. And uh, you know, circumstances with, withstanding, we've talked about this on the last podcast. I think that questions should be made um, around Brad Stevens, and if he do, he doesn't, you know, get canned, then he should be on the hot seat at the very least. Everything that I've, that, that that's at least my... I mean,
1: the stuff thought. that I've looked into when it comes to that, and I am. <laughs> I'm not even close to an insider. I don't talk to different people. I'm just absorbing other people who are, you know, talking about the situation The the people that are, you know, you know, have sources within the Celtics, you know, have kind of said Stevens is safe. If the changes are going to be made, it's going to be other stuff that's going to happen in the front office.
0: And that's a fair, that's a, that's a fair assessment as well. I I just think that it's a really tight front office. I
1: mean, that, that's the difficult thing. Like, how do they make the choice? Because those guys have been together for a long time and that's a super tight front office. They run it like a family.
0: Stevens has had different groups for seven straight years. And although he's made it to nearly the pinnacle, he's gotten to an Easter conference finals, um, just hasn't and it hasn't had the the success that you would expect uh a team like this to have. That I'll and I'll leave it at that. So let's go over to the West. Um, Memphis hosting the Spurs. So we both agreed a couple of weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, when Memphis was on a tear and Portland was drowning and losing, that we would take Memphis over Portland in a play on game. Now, Portland is in the playoffs, out of the playoff tournament, and uh, Memphis has the chance to also be in the playoffs. Uh, They face a Spurs team that just kind of. Swimming around. I don't know really how to, to describe it. They've got a really interesting roster construction. Um, I think that they have a very bright future. I think that DeMar DeRozan is kind of a square peg in a round hole on this team. Um, even though, you know, he's been an excellent mentor and an excellent player. Uh, he is such an improved playmaker, such a a, a clutch player. Um, somebody who you really can depend on. But this is somebody that came in with, you know, and joined a a Marcus Aldridge when he was traded there. Um, There was a little bit different view on the team. You know, you got veterans like a a Patty Mills and a Rudy Gay uh, who are also in the same boat. I want to see how... I want to see how DeJounte Murray plays against ja, ja Morant. I think that Ja uh, is scorned from not only last year's playoffs, but the way that their season finished on Sunday in golden state, it's going to be tough to take down that team in the grindhouse, especially now that they're allowing 40% capacity of fans. I just saw today. So that's going to be a really tough matchup for the Spurs to win. And I think Memphis could be extremely dangerous if they're on their game. They need to make shots. They did not. They did not do that against the Warriors whatsoever. But this matchup with the Spurs, I think, is very fitting to them because the Spurs are not a great three-point shooting team, uh, and and they really just kind of make their money uh, getting to the line and 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 working through DeMar DeRozan. So I'm curious how Ja reacts because Dejounte is an amazing defender, probably. One of the best defenders uh, on the perimeter in this league, and especially at the guard position, that's not going to be easy for Ja to figure out. But the adjustments and the reads that Ja makes can Dylan Brooks stay out of foul trouble. <laughs> he is such a, a heartbeat of that team, but it's so cost worthy when he's this aggressive on the defensive end because it, honestly, they should have won that game in Golden State. They had him on the ropes. And as soon as he fouled out, that's when the run happened. Uh, You know, Jaron Jackson Jr., somebody who's only been back for 12 games, uh, another X-factor. I don't know who on the Spurs is going to be able to go out and guard him on the perimeter. Uh, So I'm going to tip my cap again here to the home team uh, and go with the Grizzlies over the Spurs.
1: The Spurs have lost 10 of their last 12. They've kind of fallen backwards just to make it into this position, and only because the Pelicans have fallen flat on their face for most of the season and had bad injuries down the stretch and the Kings had too much ground to make up, you know, at the end. And by the way, anytime you want to, you know, give me that apology about picking the Kings, I'll take it. But, um, (laughs) they were close. They were close. I don't give a crap about close. They still didn't make it. Um, but when it comes to the Grizzlies, I I think one of the interesting things is like, they had this opportunity against the Warriors they got back into the game and it was tight, but they couldn't close it out. Now, mind you, they're on the road, they're playing Steph Curry, and you know, the Warriors have experience, you know, with their with their two top guys there, with you know, including Draymond as well. But the Grizzlies couldn't close it out. Now, this is a little bit of a different story here. The thing I will say though is I, I just think the Grizzlies are more athletic. I think Vallas Unis has played out of his mind. And you yes. look at some of the lines this dude's putting up. And I think he is probably going to have another big game here. So it's just the Spurs have just been trending in the wrong direction. And I just don't know if they're going to be able to reverse course on that. I mean, yeah, the Grizzlies don't have a ton of experience and they've got some things that aren't going for them. Neither do. Spurs have some guys that have some more experience, but I just don't think they're going to be able to, get enough offense on the road against the Grizzlies teams are going to be probably playing with a lot of emotion. No
0: question. No question. And at the same time, like you were saying that they don't have experience, but they do have that memory burned into their, into their skulls about last year in the bubble and how close they came to beating the Blazers. You know, that that that's going to stick with them. And I, you know, I think that jaw is someone who can rise to the occasion. Uh, Kyle Anderson, I think has played an excellent season uh, and is, is really somebody who's gone kind of flying under the radar just because, you know, the style of ball he plays, <laughs> uh, but he's just a much improved shooter uh, defender. He's been more aggressive. Um, so I, I like, I like their chances in that game and um, you know, the Spurs just kind of stick out like a sore thumb in this, in this uh, equation. I feel
1: let's talk about the main event.
0: I was waiting on you. I was waiting on you because this this is your crew. This is your crew. Uh, I am willing to provide my perspective. By the way, you on know what this, this is. Uh, this is this is in a long
1: form. This is at the end of Rocky Three. This is Apollo and Rocky behind the scenes. Ding ding, let's do it. This, this is such an interesting matchup. I mean, for the first time to have play in like this, and to have the Lakers all the way down at the seven seed now getting healthy. We believe so, even though LeBron looked to tweak that ankle in the end of the last game that they played. Um, but it, everybody says that he is fine. Um, taking on Steph Curry and the Warriors, Steph has been on this unbelievable stretch, you know, all season. He ends up leading the league in scoring. And both teams playing well right now. The Lakers have won five in a row. The Warriors have won six in a row. Um it's a fascinating
0: eight and one to may it's yeah. a, it's an NBA
1: best. Yeah. I mean, you look at the warriors and you see how undermanned that they are. And they have been all season. I was somebody that was totally wrong about the warriors because I thought once clay was out and they're going to have trouble anyway, I thought there's no way this team is going to be able to play enough defense and they are going to win like 25 games. I mean, they're they're just not going to be able to, well, they played just enough defense and they played that much more offense. And Steph has had an amazing season to where they've been able to overcome that and finish, you know, six games over 500. And they put themselves in a position now to get into the playoffs. But the Lakers have had their number and are so much bigger. And the Warriors are going to have to shoot you know, their butts off in this game to really, and, and they're going to have to force LA to play a tempo that they want, even though the Lakers like playing upbeat, but they're what they're going to have to do basically is force the Lakers into a smaller lineup and make them scramble all the time. And I think for the Lakers, they want to play bully ball. They want to play big. And I think the second Steph crosses the midcourt line, I think they're going to trap him and they're going to say, Hey, anybody else you hit that shot, Kudos on you, but we're not going to let this guy kick our butt.
0: No, that's pretty much outlining the, the article that I'm going to drop on basketballnews.com. That's a really good point. Uh, making the Lakers play small. Uh, the first thing I think about is the the big situation. With Draymond playing point center the way he has this year, averaging nearly nine assists a game, like ridiculous. Um, while Steph Curry and Andrew Wiggins are just kind of slithering around, making cuts and, and doing that stuff. I, I think that the Lakers have to put AD at the five to start this one. I do. And I think that they have to start Kuz. That, that, that is is my viewpoint. Just because if you pull Andre Drummond out onto the perimeter, you pull Marcus Saul out on the perimeter, just with his age. I know he's had the, the Lakers numbers in the past when he played for the Grizzlies or uh, the uh, Warriors numbers in the past when he played for the Grizzlies. I think that you need somebody who's a little bit more versatile out there, able to move their feet, able to shut down those passing lanes or see the pass when it, before it, before it gets there, get deflections. I think that is a D that, that has a D written all over it. Um, Offensively, the Warriors are just clicking right now. They're, they're hitting all their shots. You see Jordan Poole knocking down these threes. Um, you see, obviously, Steph uh, being Steph. Um, but even when Steph is double teamed, uh, the Warriors, to this point, have been scoring 1.1, 1.16 points per possession per, per NBA.com. And that's quite a few. <laughs> that's, that's top 10 in the league. Um, so, yes, you have to have somebody else than Steph beat you. Uh, my X factor for them is Andrew Wiggins. Uh, and he is coming off arguably the best season of his career, uh, shooting it with confidence, defending pick and rolls, uh, and drives. Um, he's gonna have to probably guard LeBron because you're gonna think that Draymond's on AD. No,
1: that's what I was gonna uh, ask so, you. Like, what, what are the matchups going to be? Because
0: that's that's what's yep, that's exactly what I had in my article. I said Draymond's gonna guard AD. Uh, reason being one, uh, in the one game they've played against each other this year, green held Davis to one for seven from the field in eight minutes and 30 seconds. I think that's significant, um, small sample size, but also I think that's significant. I don't think anyone else on the Warriors is going to do that or come close to it. Uh, you know, I'm sure that Davis will see Kavon Looney here and there. Um, maybe, maybe Eric Pascal if, if, you know, say Kerr decides to throw him back into the rotation. I don't know if. JTA has that size uh, to guard and Anthony Davis. He certainly has the heart, but uh, Davis at some point could just shoot over the top. Uh, So that, that right there I think is an interesting matchup. I do think that Andrew Wiggins is going to be the primary defender on LeBron though, because Draymond's going to be busy with AD
1: and, That's a huge challenge. It's a massive challenge. Here's what I kind of wonder about. And I might be totally wrong because I wonder about when it comes to these cross matchups, because I think the Lakers are going to start drumming and they're going to see how it goes at least for a few minutes. Right. Okay. So I kind of wonder what the matchups are going to be. Could you do Draymond on LeBron? You put Looney on AD and would you try Wiggins on Drummond?
0: Well, considering the offensive onus that those two, you know, those guys have, and knowing what Andre Drummond's role is on this team, that might not be a bad idea. But I mean, but I also think that that's a situation where the Lakers would say, "Please give give Dre the ball on the post and let him go to." Oh, work. if I was a Lakers, I that, wouldn't
1: even want to give him the ball on the post necessarily. I'd be like. Park your butt down there, and anytime there is a miss, you own the glass and you get every putback. And that and that.
0: See, this is why I like talking about this with you because you've got you've got the Lakers perspective that I don't. You literally watch like every single game so closely. I so I love. But this.
1: I mean, that's that's the thing that I we keep waiting for. I think like you look at some of these games with Drummond, and it's like he's put up some good numbers, but I keep waiting for like. Where's this game where you are just owning the glass for like a a six minute period where every rebound that's coming off, especially off an offensive rebounds, you are getting everything and you're putting it back. And this is a kind of matchup where he can do that. But if he doesn't do it quickly, I think he will get pulled. And I think the Lakers will go smaller. And the guy they'll go with, like you said, is Kuzma. It's funny because even just last year when they got Markeith Morris on a buyout, that he was such a key guy for them when they went small, he's out of the rotation right now for the Lakers. He's not playing because Kuzma right. is the guy that they said his defense has improved so much that we want to go AD at center, or even if we put Gasol in there, the other the guy that we will put in there for matchups because he can switch and do so many different things is Kuzma, and and now you know he can he's gotten better at shooting threes. He's still not like a, a knockdown guy. He has his his uh, streaks that he goes through. And the funny thing is like lately, he hasn't even been shooting the ball. He
0: hasn't, he has it. That's the, that was going to be my next point. If, if, if I'm allowed to interrupt Go here, the X factor for the Lakers is going to be a combination of Dennis Schroeder and Kyle Kuzma, which of them are going to rise to the occasion or both of them going to rise to the occasion. Schroeder's been playing solid D this year. Offensively, he's got to have to be a little bit more aggressive especially because the game plan against the LeBron James, and this has been the age old story for a while. Do you make him a scorer or do you make him a playmaker? I think that the warriors want to make him a scorer. That's that I think is, is plan a is to make somebody else beat you. Now the problem is plan B is Anthony Davis, which sucks because you know, it's a pick your poison type of feel. But if say LeBron scores like a, 40 banger or something like that. I think you have a chance because that means the other guys aren't scoring. And when you make LeBron into a scorer and he's not getting others involved, then I, I just honestly feel that that's your best chance. Just having watched him in the past and in playoff situations, um, that I think is, is the best plan of action is to – make him drive to the rim or not, not drive. to the rim, Sorry. You don't want to make him drive to the rim. That's the last thing you want LeBron James to do. Make him a shooter. Okay. He's, he is an improved three point shooter, but as soon as you get him to start settling, that's when you can get into the, the game. That, that is, uh, absolutely what the Warriors want to yes, see.
1: But I think LeBron knows that, that, that's what they want him to do as well. And I think he picks his spots of knowing, like, I shouldn't take the shot. Sure. He'll still take some that you're sitting going, okay, why are you doing that? But I think he knows, too, like, for the good of the team, even going forward in this postseason, and as he kind of works his way back in, this game has Anthony Davis written all on it. I mean, AD is needs to dominate. This needs to be one of these 35-15 games where he just – crushes the hopes and dreams of the Warriors. And and you say, it, it's like what we saw, what was it, a week ago from him where he put up a 40 spot? I mean, that's oh, yeah. that's what they want out of this game. And I'll tell you, the, the, the other guy that I would watch that's going to benefit from a lot of this is KCP. And the way that he has been shooting the ball, especially like over the last month, I mean, there's a lot of games now where like he takes nine shots a game and they're all threes. And he's hitting four of them, five of them. So... He's going to be, you know, the beneficiary of a lot of this as well. So, and and then, you know, um, watch Ben Macklemore off the bench. It sounds crazy, but man, I mean, that guy's going to get open looks and that's all he's doing is he's going to be a gunner from out there. And if that dude gets hot, I mean, he can, he'll. he'll We've seen it with the Rockets. Yeah. We've seen him get hot. you will have a couple before. Times. I mean, it, that's not far-fetched at all. Yeah.
0: Uh, I think that uh, also, you know, with the Warriors having missed Kelly Oubre Jr. for all this time and having him missed with this rotation, it's a shortened rotation. So you're going to want to tire them out, right? What does Kuz do? He goes and gets offensive rebounds. He gets big stops in crucial moments. He comes up with those 50-50 balls. Those are huge things. But I think that he has to be more aggressive when he's playing the game, especially with that team that's that's down men. And
1: I think especially like being the guy that is – like but, the Knicks game, for
0: example, like
1: be that cut guy. to the rim. Don't, <laughs> don't just hang out there on the perimeter, be the guy that's going to cut. It's going to go back, you know, backdoor and everybody and is going to get to the free throw line a lot. I mean, I think he can do that in, in a game like this. And and the funny thing is like, even if the Lakers don't play a lot of drumming and they don't play a lot of Gasol and they go smaller with AD, you know, at center, the Lakers are still so much bigger than the Warriors, and that's what they want to do: is they want to beat them up, push them around, you know, on defense, and they want to get get out and run. That 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 is the Lakers' mo. Like we're going to stop you on one end, we're going to beat you up, we're going to grab the ball, and we are going to sprint down the other end and try to get the easiest opportunity we can immediately.
0: Let me ask you this: Do you think Andre Drummond can play the role of a Dwight Howard or a Javale McGee?
1: No, yeah, uh, he can McGee, he cannot with Dwight because Dwight, quite honestly, without cursing too much, um, I'll say the PG version of this, Dwight Howard is a butthole on the court. Um, and we saw that last year. I mean, go ask uh, Nikola Jokic about what a jackass we just saw it a week ago with Udonis Haslam. Wow. Oh, geez, that's true. Yeah, he absolutely did. I mean, Haslam, you know, fouled out in three minutes. Um, But this is what Dwight does is he's one of those classic guys. If he's on your team, you love him. If he's not on your team, you hate his guts because he
0: gets under your skin, get
1: under your skin. He's going to do every little, I won't say dirty, but he's pushing the limit because he's going to be that guy that like, even before, you hand the ball off to the guy to inbound, he's already jockeying for position and sticking his elbow in your chest and pushing around. And when the ref looks at him, he was like, what, 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 what? You know, he's, he's just going to do that guy. And he does it on purpose. I mean, and he throws teams off because of that. And Drummond is not that guy. Drummond is a very soft-spoken guy. I wish he would play more physical. It doesn't even have to be verbal. I just wish that he would say like, I'm the bigger guy here, and I'm going to push you around, and I don't care. And if I shove you to the ground to make a statement, so be it. This is the way. But he is not that kind of a guy,
0: especially when you look at him when he attacks the rim. He doesn't. He, he lays the ball up more than any other six ten, six eleven Everything guys that I've ever so seen. Soft. And that's just from from perspective of covering him in Cleveland. It's crazy because he could be such a dominant force. And I, I love the guy. I think he's an awesome dude. Um, I I just think that he's. Just one of those kind of a little bit passive if he's not getting the ball and, uh, you know, putting it on I the mean, floor. the
1: Lakers obviously like are the favorite <laughs> in this game, but any team that has Steph Curry has a puncher's chance. Has a and, chance. and I will say even yep. – even I'm
0: taking L.A., by the way. I am taking L.A. in this game.
1: Regardless, you know, even if the Warriors lose this game, I think that they will beat whoever they play between the Grizzlies and the Spurs, and I think it will be the Grizz. So do I. So so, so do I, I think I so think the Warriors I. are going um, to get in, which, and you know to take have them against the Jazz, a team that you know shoots as many threes as any team in the league, um, that could be a very entertaining series if that's what we get.
0: No question, no question. And I love that if the Warriors do lose, they do in fact get that rematch with the Grizzlies. And that was a really good game on Sunday. Um, I think that's really cool. But just one more note on this LeBron versus Steph thing. It's just, it's so wild to me that this is going to be the fifth time that they meet. I know this isn't technically the playoffs, but it is. Um, For them to meet like this is just so weird. Uh, For someone who covered two series uh, featuring these two, you know, LeBron's no longer a Cav. He's a defending champion. He's got Anthony Davis, but he's also 36, got mileage on his body you know, career high 27 games missed. Um, it's a little bit different. Same with the warriors and Curry, man. Uh, you know, they, they finished, uh, the season so hot, but you know, this isn't the same team that has a clay Thompson, uh, or a Kevin Durant or, you know, vets like a Sean Livingston and Andre Guadala, Those guys aren't on the team anymore. So this version of the warriors is a lot different. Um, LeBron ha- is, is somewhat different. <laughs> um, And uh, the the teams that they're on is obviously um, a little bit different of a matchup and the stakes, you know, the consolation prize is, is a uh, a spot in the playoffs of this game, but uh, they usually fight for the Larry O'Brien trophy. So it's kind of funny for me.
1: I also love the fact and I laugh about it and I kind of wonder like where this is coming from, if there's anything to it, the fact that LeBron after the Lakers last game, comes out and is like, oh man, that's Steph Curry. You know, he should be the MVP this year. Look at everything that he's done. You know, and you, you just have to wonder about that. And I just kind of chuckle whether there's something you know, behind it or not. But it's just, it's there.
0: You know as well as I do that LeBron James is very, very calculated with his yes. words. It's not setting up a narrative. I don't, I don't agree that it's setting up a narrative that oh we beat that. You know the should have been MVP and stuff like that. I think it's more in the lens of Steph has been been openly recruited by LeBron for the last like three years oh, yeah. with his comments. Um, so that that's the lens I'm looking at. I'm not looking at it like LeBron's trying to invent this thing that if he loses, he, that, you know, he obviously knows that Steph is one of the best players in the game and, you know, potentially an MVP uh, versus if he wins and oh, it's the greatest, you know, win. Uh, and, and, you know, if they get to a championship, then. It's like Jared Dudley said, it's the the toughest challenge of all time or something like that. Like, I'm not looking at it from that lens. I'm looking at it from, oh, LeBron saying Steph. Oh, man, it'd be pretty fun to play. Be pretty fun to play, especially as I'm getting older. I
1: just found it (laughs) amusing that LeBron was buttering him up just a couple of days before they meet with the uh, winner getting the seven seed and the loser having to fight and scrap for another game to get into the playoffs.
0: And that's that's the other funny part about this. A lot of people treating this like it's a winner take all, but it's not. It, you know, whoever loses this game is not out of the playoffs. They have another chance to get it. Uh all they got to do is beat the 9 or 10 seed. Not saying that's an easy thing to do, but it's not this is it. This isn't like one and done. You know what I'm saying? So, it should be it should be a very fun game. Should be have, you know, high high stakes. Uh very much so looking forward to it. And that's a hell of a way to And the first round of the the play-in tournament. Now let's talk about the big thing. Starting next Saturday, the NBA playoffs. We have 12 teams that are in. That means we have six matchups that we can talk about. But we're going to pick out our favorite of the bunch right now. And it's funny, I I finally got that right. Remember in the open, I said three matchups because I can't do math. (laughs)
1: later on throughout the night, your math gets better.
0: Yeah, yeah, apparently so. We are recording this on a Monday evening, by the way. Um, Okay, so let's kick it off with you. What matchup are you looking forward to the most?
1: I'm looking at a rematch last year's playoffs between the LA Clippers and the Dallas Mavericks, where the Mavericks had to fight back They got a Luka Doncic double bang game winner and took out the Clippers in a series where the Clippers looked like um, they're going to be able to win that, but um, they hit a wall, which sparked a lot of questions about this team when it came to chemistry, when it came to mental health, when it came to how they dealt with the bubble, all these different things. And it was also the emergence of Luka. Really on a big stage, and the way that he was able to step up, and the way that he was able to do it, and now we get to see this matchup again in the first round of the playoffs, and um, that is very, very interesting to see this. I mean, the Clippers—I wouldn't say struggling, but once again at the end of the season, probably not finishing as strong as they want. Now, mind you, there's some games down the stretch where. They benched some guys, especially the last game of the season.
0: Making sure Kawhi and PG are healthy, nothing
1: more. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> you know, the Mavericks have played well down the stretch and they've they've had some more meaningful games when it comes to trying to get their seating. Um, you know, trying to lock up the five.
0: Even and, though they just gave up 136 points to the to the
1: wolves. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but but I think it is an interesting matchup of The Clippers can now say, we're not in the bubble. We've had another year together, so let's take this next step, especially if they're healthy. But they have to go up against, um, you know, the boogeyman, which in their case is is Luka Doncic.
0: Well, they have a boogie on their team. Yes, they do. (laughs) No, I'm looking forward to this one too, man. Um, The rivalry renewed. Marcus Morris versus Luka Doncic. That's what, that's what I'm looking forward to, but no, in all seriousness, PG and Kawhi uh, for some reason have been flying under the radar this year. Maybe it's because Utah and Phoenix are the talk of the town. Maybe it's because, you know, the Lakers are, you know, the focus because everyone's like, Oh, can they win it? Uh, I still like the Clippers to come out of the West. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. And in this series, particularly, Dallas, to me, I don't know if I can trust them. They're just a weird team to me this year. Very weird team.
1: I agree because I, they're, they're just on paper, when you look at it, you sit there and go, well, the Clippers are a more talented team overall. But just the way that things kind of come together for the Mavericks, the way that Luka, when he's really hitting at all cylinders, controls the offense on that team in in such a way where you would think it wouldn't work because it, he is so ball dominant, but he makes it work. And then they get the contributions, especially from like Tim Hardaway Jr. And Jalen Brunson, who's been just an incredible Outstanding. story this year. Outstanding. And you look at that. To me, the thing is the Mavericks though, have to be able to slow down the Clippers on offense you know, and still come through in those clutch moments. and that that's been a troubling thing for the Clippers is in tight games. They haven't always been able to, you know, pull those games out. And they're going to probably be facing, you know, playing in some close games here. And are they going to be able to kind of get over that hump?
0: Yeah, no, that's a big, it's a big time question. And, uh, you know, you, you bring up the fact that the, the bubble was was so tough on, you know, a guy like Paul George. And to me, I'm looking at that saying, well, it's it's time that he's going to come out and play pissed. I, I truly think that's what's going to happen.
1: I think he's um, been playing pissed all season, quite honestly. Yeah. I no, think I think he, he's going to do
0: that in the playoffs, though. Yeah. But he has that's played
1: all saying. season with a chip on his shoulder. And then, I mean, it is no joke of what, some players went through in the bubble last year, especially ones that, that, you know, had troubles mentally because of it. And I can only imagine being at that situation and it it's extremely tough. And, but people are going to pile on somebody like Paul George because of his struggles in the playoffs. So it's not only just of what happened last year, it's how he struggled throughout the playoffs for most of his career. And now you've got this opportunity of saying, Hey, I joined up with Kawhi to, you know, take the Clippers out of the secondary team in Los Angeles and bring it to the forefront and win a championship. And they've got an opportunity this year, you know, if they're healthy and everything. And the way that he has played for most of the season has been exceptional, except when he drinks too much coffee before a game. And, you know, if he can continue to shoot the way he has, and and I think he is going to play pissed. I think he is going to play with a chip on his shoulder. It's Can he focus and, and bring that energy and deliver in his performance in these games?
0: I, I will say, from the Mavericks' perspective, and, and I'll get back to the Clippers uh, in a second, having defenders like a Josh Richardson and a Dorian Finney-Smith. Dorian Finney-Smith is probably one of the most uh, underrated players and underrated defenders uh, in our league. I uh, think that throwing those two on Paul George and Kawhi, it, you know, you'll have a decent result there. Uh, so then the question comes: Who else is gonna gonna score for for the Clippers? Well, I'll tell you, they have a lot of good shooters. <laughs> a lot of good shooters. Marcus Morris being one of them. Marcus Morris <laughs> shot forty seven percent from deep this year, dude. <laughs> like he could. I and mean, we know he could come up in big games. Uh, The Clippers did not have a Nicholas Batum last year. Uh, You know, Reggie Jackson has been big time for them. Uh, They have a Rajon Rondo to, to orchestrate. And even he's shooting 43% from deep. Like they've got shooters this time and we'll see if it resonates in, in the playoffs. I, I do know, you know, having a Serge Ibaka back with the, with Zubac in, in, in the, in the mix is huge. Um, I think that Ibaka getting healthy in time for for the season is is huge for them. So they're able to employ uh, different types of matchups at the five position. Um, that's probably the biggest place I have concern for the Mavs is how they handle Ivica Zubac. Uh, the Mavs have had a revolving door at center this year. Sometimes they're starting Dwight Powell. Sometimes they're starting Willie Cauley Stein. Others they'll put KP at the at the five. Um, Zubats is a bruiser, I and mean, you know that as a Lakers fan. Um,
1: I'm still upset at Magic Johnson for giving him away
0: for Mike Muscala.
1: Oh God, don't remind me. <laughs> That's <laughs> no. one of the worst trades of the last five years. Hey,
0: shout out to Muscala though; he had a good year with, with the Thunder. I'll t- I'll give him that. Sure, um, but that I, I think winning the battle on, on the glass, um, who's able to really stop. The, the penetration because Paul George has been putting it on the floor so much lately, uh, which is a great sign for the Clippers. Um, Kawhi quietly had one of his better seasons again. Um, who's, you know, you're, you're going to probably stick Dorian Finney Smith on him. And again, that's probably going to yield you some decent results. Um, but just for me, and I'm not usually this guy. I just think star power uh, and the depth outweighs the maps. And so I'll take the Clippers and I'll probably say in, we'll say six.
1: I was going to say the same thing. I like the Clippers in this, but I think there's going to be some really, really tight games. Not every game, but but I would say out of six, I'd say four of them within five points. And not that we need to delve on this, but I'll make one bold prediction. Well, I say bold, it's probably more semi-bold if the Clippers take out the Mavericks in the first round, Christoph Porzingis will not be a Dallas Maverick next year.
0: Okay. Okay. I can handle that. And that's actually a really good point. Cause I was going to bring that up as he wasn't available for much of that series last year. That's actually when he went down three and he was done for the year. So they have him this time and he should be decent healthy, right? Just being able to stretch the floor Uh, having the size advantage on uh, a Kawhi Leonard who plays the four for the, for the the Clippers, like that's a big advantage for them is that size at that position, but can, can KP come through? That is my biggest, uh, biggest question. I don't know about you.
1: I, I totally agree. It's, you know, can he be a deciding factor and it's not on offense, it's can you get back to playing better defense? Because his defense has been gone.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that that's the other thing, too, uh, with the Mavs and talking about who outside of Luka can, can really bring it. It's Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, c- can he continue to be a microwave scorer the way he has over the last month? Um, you brought up Jalen Brunson. That's a good point. Uh, Maxi Kleba, I think, is one of their secret weapons. Um, granted he's, if he's, you know, he stays healthy. Um, I think he's a a really solid defender himself. Uh, Dallas didn't have Josh Richardson last year. So we'll see how that works. Um, you know, they didn't, they, they had Seth last year and Seth was a, a good player. And, you know, we were talking about it earlier in the season, how much that changed Lucas need to, to adjust and spray out to the perimeter. Can Josh Richardson be an X factor, you know, like, these are questions I have and, um, we'll see, <laughs> we'll see, you know, that's, that's the age old question.
1: Yeah. It's fascinating, especially, you know, you've got one of these classic four or five matchups in the first round, you expect the tight matchup. And I think we're going to get it there.
0: Yep. And then y- you think that the winner gets, you know, Utah, but you never know. Cause if they end up facing a golden state or a, or a Lakers, like that's pretty crazy. And, um, I would love to see that personally because um, I, I know I know I'm rooting, you know rooting pulling for the Jazz uh, just because you know they've been giving the proverbial middle finger
1: to everybody. <laughs> but can I give you I, a quick a quick little note about this or get your thoughts I, on this? Yeah, go for it. What do you make of the uh, the scuttlebutt that the Clippers intentionally tried to dodge the Lakers for the first couple of rounds of the playoffs?
0: I disagree with it. Um, I think they're trying to get Kawhi and PG healthy. I think they're trying to keep their vets healthy because they're not all that young. Um, Ty Lou isn't one to duck competition. Ty Lou had to come back from three, one he's not somebody to purposely lose um, a game. Uh, I will take that uh, with, with everything that that I know about Ty and in covering him for years and years here He's not anyone to back down from a challenge. And it's funny because I don't think that they would.
1: Yeah. Regardless of how you uh, think about it, the
0: optics, uh, I know
1: there's optics Mm -hmm. and Jared Dudley, AKA the Lakers spokesman um, is not afraid to speak out and basically bash the Clippers, which he has been known to do. He did it in his, the, uh, the book that he wrote last season, you know, in the off season. And, He's doing it again here saying, hey, they're they're tanking to avoid us, man. They they want no part of us. And Dudley said exactly what a lot of people think. Hey, if you want to play us, you should want to play us first round because we're still trying to get our chemistry back. He goes, you don't want to play us later on. We're rolling. You, you don't want any part of that. So, I mean, that's, that's just Dudley trying to show off that the Lakers have swag. That, 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 that's what that is. Like, Hey, you know, we're going to play the bully on the block here a little bit. And, um, you know, <laughs> that's, that's what he does.
0: That is what he does. That is what he does. It just pokes the bear, pokes
1: yep. the bear a little bit. He loves poking the bear.
0: Oh man. But, but I love, I do love that, that matchup. That's a good one to pick. I, I kind of have two, but I do want to focus on one and I'll do the other one as one an honorable mention the buck. And the Heat get each other in round one. It's it's hilarious because we were talking about this, you know, not even uh, a week ago. The last thing that the Bucks wanted to see was the Heat, <laughs> and Giannis is going to have to deal with Bam Adebayo. He's going to have to deal with Jimmy Butler all over again. Now it's it's kind of crappy because the Bucks, in all honesty, have looked so good this year. They've changed things up. We've talked about it before. Uh, you know, they're they're not just dropping the big man in coverage. They're you know they're switching a little bit more offensively. They utilized uh, you know Giannis as a five at times. Something I've been begging and preaching for to, to take the ball out of his hands and and let him do from the short roll all that stuff. The Bucks also have Drew Holiday now, which not only takes pressure off of Giannis, that takes pressure off of Chris Middleton. Because Chris Middleton was the guy they were pointing the finger at once Giannis got hurt last year. So, that, I think, gives them a little bit of an edge over the Heat. Just a little bit. But, as we all know, the Heat, when they get going, they are one hell of a team to deal with. And they feel like they have unfinished business. And guys are, are really picking up, stepping up at the right time. We're seeing... Goran Dragic looked like the dragon again all of a sudden, like after doing pretty much next to, next to nothing until like March. He's looking like himself. Tyler Hero looking like Tyler Hero again after, you know, he wasn't looking great. Duncan Robinson's hitting threes here and there. Shoot, more than here and there. He's taking a lot of threes, but it's like, what are the chances that this is the matchup that happens in the first round? And I'm so looking forward to it. I want to see if Mike Budenholder can make these adjustments, because at this point, it's his reputation on the line. What they know about each other's teams, the, the added kinks of, of having you know the, the Heat bringing in a, a Trevor Ariza, the, the Bucks having Drew Holiday. The Bucs are a little deeper now. They've got Bryn Forbes. They also have a P.J. Tucker on their team that's been there, done that. Definitely gonna cause a stir, I guarantee you, in this series, because of his physicality. I'm very much
1: looking forward to this. I am too. And I think Drew Holiday finally playing in, you know, meaningful playoff games and really having a chance to win a title. This is what we've been waiting for, is to see what his impact is gonna be on the postseason for the Bucks and what he brings as not only a floor leader, but a defender. Because I can just imagine Drew Holiday against Jimmy Butler down in crunch time of games. And that is going to be a battle. And also, if the Bucks' offense bogs down, if they're having some trouble with Giannis and you know Middleton's not getting in the spaces that he wants, in the past, we've wondered, like, where do they go for offense? But now they've got Drew. They've got the ball handler. They've got a playmaker. They've got a guy that can get his own bucket, get, get other people involved. Let's see if he truly is the missing piece and let's see what Giannis does, you know, because this is a big opportunity for him, you know, last season losing to the heat and, you know, then the season before you know, losing to the Raptors and the way that they did, um, this is a big opportunity for him to step up. And this is why he stayed in Milwaukee is because he believes in this team that he can lead them to a championship and it's a tough first round. And by the way, the whole path of the bucks is not easy because guess what? If you get past the heat, you're most likely going to have to play Brooklyn in the second round. Oh yeah. And then you probably have to play Philly, you know, in the conference final. So their road is extremely tough, but you take it one round at a time and it's the Miami heat. It's a team that, um, basically, you know, took your lunch money last year and sent you crying home. <laughs> and now you get the opportunity to punch the bully back in the face. That's exactly and, what needed to do <laughs> the, yes, in order
0: to, or in order to, you know, maintain this, you know, this reputation, not have everyone, you know, go after Giannis for signing the supermax. That's, there's definitely more pressure on Milwaukee. <laughs> no question. Um, but I'm interested in it. And, you know, another another player that's a part of this team that's been huge for them is uh, Bobby Portis. And they didn't have that kind of backup big uh, against the Heat last year. Bobby's someone that's able to stretch the floor, shooting a career-high 47% from deep. Uh, somebody who can go up and get, get your boards um, and really kind of banging that paint a little bit. So... I I think that they have a, a more talented, more experienced roster than they had a year ago. The, the Heat bring back pretty much the same thing. Uh, it, with the exception of a Jay Crowder. Missing Jay Crowder's big time, but Trevor Ariza is also somebody who's been there, done that. And they still have Iguodala, So he,
1: he is, but that's the thing I wonder about, like, When it comes to those wings, are they going to be able to step up in this moment? Because they've got a lot of mileage on them. Let's see what they have left. And you know, they're they're playing, you know, Ariza and Iguadala. They're playing them a lot of minutes. So we'll see, you know, how how durable they could be here in the postseason and what kind of production that they can give you know at this time of the season
0: especially with Dante and Pat are out there flying around <laughs> mm-hmm. so that that's definitely a different difference
1: this is a fun matchup I mean mm-hmm. that this is another one like we we wondered if the heat we going to be able to put it together all season I've said it plenty of times here that there's been times where I thought they're great and I thought they were going to go back to the finals there's other times where I'd basically given up on them and here they are now playing good ball they're in a great position or you know or to play spoiler, which is something that they love to do. And they get to face Milwaukee in the first round, you know, in a three, six matchup. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a bruiser.
0: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Honorable mention. The Knicks versus the Hawks. How about it? It's New York's first playoff appearance since 2013. Isn't that crazy? And then the four seed. Think about that. And then I,
1: I mean I, I know it's a limited crowd that could be at the Garden, but just think of what that atmosphere is going to be like, especially for Game One of that series.
0: Oh yeah, no question. And it's the it's the first playoff appearance for the Hawks since since uh, the Mike Budenholzer days uh, in 2017. So this is a, a highly anticipated matchup. This is kind of cool because I mean at least one of these teams is going to advance to the second round, and that's a huge accomplishment for either of those franchises.
1: I mean, no, I think a lot of people weren't sure if the Knicks were going to be here. I mean, there's a lot of people that thought the Knicks were going to be below 500. The Hawks were one of those teams that some people said with the additions they made in the offseason, maybe they would finish as high as like a three seed. Now, obviously that didn't happen, but I mean, there's still 10 games over 500. They, they had their swoon of the season, but they seem to put it back together. And they're a team that their offense is incredible. And that's something that the Heat are going to have to deal with. As as good as the Knicks have been defensively, this is a Hawks team that's able to put up, you know, a lot of points, you know, at at different moments. And we'll see what style is going to win out. Is it going to be the offense with the Hawks, or is it going to be the Knicks being able to stifle them and really shut them down and and control the pace of the game and keep the scoring under control in a spot where they can win?
0: And then you also have to think about, you know, the, the Hawks have been a defensively improved team themselves. And the the, the Knicks uh, kind of hit or miss there uh, on the offensive end. But certainly in the month of May, uh, were, we're outstanding uh, shooting the three. And uh, that that comes as a result of the Reggie Bullocks, the the R.J. Barrett's. Uh, obviously, Derek Rose coming off that bench and really, really making an impact. Alec Burks randomly having 30-point games like they, they definitely have the weapons. Emmanuel Quickly is a wild card. Uh, you, you've got a lot of weapons on this team. Um, and, and they are very, very sound in the way that they play. They're very physical. They're very to the point. No messing around. The, the matchup I'm looking forward here to actually is Clint Capella and Nerlens Noel. Because Clint Capella is one of the, the best centers in the NBA, probably close to qualifying for an all-NBA team. And uh, he has been so crucial to them this year. Uh, just on the glass, blocking shots, being a high handoff threat for, for Trey, providing extra chances. But it's almost like Nerlens Noel is like Capilla Light in a way when he's been asked to step up by thinking he's done a really good job. And I would never enter the paint against Nerliz Noel, especially not this year. Uh, grabbing boards, uh, doing not more than he needs to do. And I think Noel can help neutralize a Clint Capella and really make someone like a John Collins step up. And John Collins has had a, a very good season and somebody that should definitely be an X factor in this in this series as well.
1: It's, it's a fascinating matchup to see, you know, how this is all going to go down, kind of the X's and O's.
0: Didn't even bring up Bogey either. Bogey, Bogey's been amazing in the second half of the year.
1: And I'm curious too, when it comes to kind of the old school mentality, when it comes to the coaches with Mm -hmm. Nate McMillan, Tibbs versus McMillan,
0: (laughs) that's,
1: it's only real.
0: How many 95 to 93 games are we going to (laughs) get?
1: Yeah, that, that's, that's what the Knicks want. That's exactly what the Knicks want. If they can keep this under a hundred points, then they've got to feel like we've got a really good chance here.
0: Yes. No, I would have definitely agree with that. Okay. We're, we're not going to take every playoff matchup because that obviously would take a long time, but those are three of our favorites. I think uh, a good thing to, to leave a good taste in our listeners uh, mouths there. So you wanted to talk about all NBA. We did tease it last week. We'll briefly touch on it. So I don't get in trouble. Uh, Luckily, I don't have any votes, but in the public eye, I know I will get screamed at because I didn't pick someone's favorite player. So let's get on with it, Ryan. Uh, Maybe we can just kind of make our picks together and uh, come up with your uh, candidates and then who you think will win these awards.
1: So, yeah, we don't have to spend too much time on it. I just... I like the idea of doing the awards now because these are regular season awards. You don't let the postseason kind of taint your thinking about it. And by the way, for anybody that actually does have a vote, they had to turn in their vote uh today on well, Monday. Um yes. they they had to be sent in earlier today. So um I was like kind of getting it out of the way kind of a thing. Um, okay. And there, there is a lot of talk about this year, especially because there are so many different candidates. I think for different things. So let's run through a couple of the the smaller ones, and then we'll get to the the grand finale with the MVP. Um, so the big the awards are MVP, coaching, coach of the year, defensive player of the year, six man, rookie, and most improved. So let's start with most improved. Who stands out to you? Because I think there's one guy that most people are thinking of and that's Julius Randle being most improved player. And do you dispute that or do you have somebody else in mind?
0: Uh, I think Julius Randle is going to run away with the award (laughs) considering that he might be an MVP conversation this year. Uh, So that would make him a shoe in to win that. Uh, I think you have to give consideration to someone like a Michael Porter jr. For sure. Um, Just we were asking the question in the middle of the season, Brian, what are they going to do with this guy? Well, you know he has stepped up and then some. Uh, just offensively, uh, just ridiculous numbers um, since since uh, Jamal Murray's gone down, um, and that's translated into like fifty percent shooting. I'm talking about like that is big time, big time stuff. Uh, like since here you go since he's since uh, Murray went down uh, at Golden State. He's averaged 23.5 points, six rebounds on 56% from the field and 48.9% from deep on eight threes a game. And uh, that's that sample size, but even on the year, just looking at the marked improvement from a year ago, I know we saw it in the bubble, but we didn't really see it outside of the bubble before that. Uh, Definitely a candidate that you have to be uh, looking out for.
1: Yeah. I think Randall's definitely going to win it. I think Porter is going to be, Two, three, four, probably more two or three to me. Jeremy Grant is the other guy that I think a lot of people are talking about to be in this mm-hmm. candidate. You know, early in the season, Christian Wood was a guy that yes. people really looked at, but he's kind couldn't of slipped. stay healthy. Yeah, couldn't mm-hmm. stay healthy. So I to me, I have Randall probably Grant and Porter, but I think you could flip-flop Grant and Porter and that put Wood at four.
0: Yeah, no, you could, you could. Um is it possible to mention Zion Williamson in that conversation? I don't know. Would, would you put him in that conversation? I don't think he played well. He played 24 I, games last year, played 61 this year.
1: Yeah, that's that's the thing. I don't know if he played enough in his first season. Okay. That's that, that, that's, that's the, the that's only, reason the only question I, question I had. In. Yeah. So, rookie of the year.
0: I um, know how I feel about this. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I I think that I think Lamelo Ball is going to win it running away, and I know he missed some games there, but he did come back before the end of the season, um, and he's a guy that's been talked about all season long with us. But I know that you want to talk up Anthony Edwards.
0: I do want to talk up Anthony Edwards. Is it his fault that the Wolves weren't great? I don't think so. I just putting it out there. You know, uh, I think that especially in the last two months of the season, we saw this kid just bounce off the screen. Um, And is this a one month award? No, you're right. Uh, But there is a handful and I'm talking three players. Maybe I don't have the stat on hand right now, but Anthony Edwards played in every single game this season. Every single game has 20 games on the leg up on LaMelo. Over the last 24 games of the season, averaged 23.4 points, five rebounds, 3.8 assists, a steal a game, shot 46.8% of the field, and on eight three-point tries a game, shot 36.5%. There was real improvement for Anthony Edwards in the second half of the season. Um, And it was so fun to watch. Uh, His personality is infectious. His offense got even better. His uh, reads got even better. He's just going to be a force in this league. Um, And I know that, you know, he might be a little little undersized for that two-sash-three position, whatever it may be. Um, But for him to take this kind of season... Uh, the way it started and to finish it the way that he did, especially knowing what his numbers were, uh, like at the beginning of February, I think that is something that you need to reward. Uh, this is not a knock on Lamelo Ball; he has been tremendous. He is an all-around stud. Um, I just think that the the games played, you got to value that a little bit more. Um, I think you also have to take into consideration. Uh, that LaMelo, if you're using that uh, for the record uh, argument, that LaMelo had a Gordon Hayward on his team, he had a Terry Rozier on his team, right? Can can you use that as a factor uh, if you're going to look at what their records are next to each other? Um, that That's my only, uh, you know, kind of con- counterpoint uh, to that argument. But I think it's closer than it appears. I I, if I had a vote, I would put Anthony Edwards down, um, but if LaMelo wins it, there's no question that you can't, like, he obviously earned it.
1: I just think the impact that LaMelo had on the game and the way he did it for that team, especially because we're talking about a team that's, you know, if Gordon Hayward could have stayed healthy, I I think they'd already be in the playoffs. But and they were well on their way into uh, to making it, but they had these injuries. You know, late in the season, between Lamelo going down and Hayward going down and still out. But you're talking about a guy that you know they they had to put this guy in the starting lineup. The impact that he's had on these games for a team that's won ten more games than the Timberwolves. You know, it, it's kind of hard to deny it. You know what kind of impact this guy has had right off the bat. Um, and be able to control games, the uh, the way that he's able to run an offense early on. it It's tough not to give it to LaMelo. I mean, Edwards really came on, but he got plenty of opportunities to shoot the ball because he's on a bad team as well. And I'm not trying to take anything away from that guy because you could see the progression, especially in the last month or two of the season, like you said. But I just think that I know that LaMelo played 21 games less than him. But I look at the impact that he had on a team that is in the playoff tournament and was probably one injury away from being in the postseason. And for the most of the season, they were a playoff team. So I'm I'm not going to take it away from LaMelo because of that.
0: It's the classic who's more efficient than who. You yeah. know, like I think that comes down to that, too. And I'm just somebody that likes somebody that just keeps playing the game no matter what. and I just kind of admire that about Anthony Edwards. And um,
1: if you're Sacramento Kings again to the postseason, then maybe Tyrese Halliburton would be a little bit more in this discussion. I, you know, my list, I have him. Ain't his
0: fault. He got hurt. Damn it.
1: I know. I know. <laughs> but I mean, Halliburton, man, this is oh, a yeah. guy. He should have been drafted a little bit higher than he was. And no question you could see. I mean, I think a lot of people, it, w- it was funny because going up to the draft, it was like, there's a lot of people going, you know, who I really likes a Halliburton guy. But he didn't go higher than he did in the draft, and then he comes on the court, and you're like, whoa, look at the impact this guy's going to have. Oh, and he can play alongside Darren Fox? Well, that's interesting.
0: Oh, yeah. No question. No question. And uh, honorable mentions in this this rookie conversation, uh, I think that you look at somebody like a Sadiq Bey, uh, you look at somebody like a Jayshon Tate, um, a Cole Anthony, per se, uh, those guys, I think, made some big, big impacts uh, this year, just just from an individual standpoint, I think uh, yeah. you would have to throw them into that hat just because they played so well. And Emmanuel quickly as well uh, is another one.
1: I think one of the more interesting categories this year is going to be six man because all year long, it seems like one guy has been the favorite, that being Jordan Clarkson. But now that we're down to the time where people are actually handing in ballots, it's maybe a little bit more of a question mark. This could be one of those where Clarkson could win it running away. However, some of the real stat nerds that are digging in deep might not be voting for Jordan Clarkson. But I, I, think, there's, I think there's enough voters that people just look at raw numbers and just say, well, you can't deny what Clarkson has done. But I think there are some other people that kind of, look a little bit deeper and, you know, maybe aren't going to, you know, go for Clarkson, go for his teammate when it comes to Joe Ingles.
0: Yeah, no, they could look at Joe Ingles. They could look at Derrick Rose. I know it was a late season push, uh, but I think he could be in that category. Um Certainly uh, those, those names come to mind. Um
1: How weird is it though, that possibly the top two guys Around the same team, Jalen Brunson is a guy that I think might finish third. I have him third. And the, another guy that you could put in the conversation right after him, along with Derrick Rose, like you said, would be Tim Hardaway Jr. So two teams could possibly have, you know, four of the best six men in the league.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, someone else that I that comes to mind for me as well is a, you know, a Miles Bridges. Uh, who was really, you know, stepping up when you know Lamella was on the bench with him, and in that that time period, those two were really on the same page. But he's since, uh, you know, gotten more playing time and and really made a difference uh, with that with that uh, group. So we'll see. We'll see how it, it pans out. He's, you know, Bridges has been starting more lately, but he definitely would have qualified for six man of the year had he continued to stay on the bench.
1: Um, Who do you like in that argument between do you like Clarkson or do you like Ingles? I,
0: I like JC. I do. Um, me too. He is somebody that no matter what, he's going to play his style of game. Um,
1: he's got the green light and he knows It's it almost like he he's Jordan.
0: Craw- he's, he's, he's almost uh Jamal Crawford. Like he is. You know, like that, that's what I think about of George Jordan Clarkson. It's just and, and I know that, that guy he, comes out and gets buckets.
1: Yeah, Ingles has you know this all-around game kind of a thing, but but Clarkson is asked for this to do this role. And he goes full throttle, green light. I'm gonna chuck, but he's done it in a way where he's been able to put up points. I mean, he's he had a little bit of a swoon during the season, but he's come on again here, and he that's that's the role that's asked of him is to go out there and get buckets off the bench and bring energy, and that's what he's doing.
0: And he's done it in a time of need when Donovan Mitchell has not been in, and and they've really had to lean on him, and he did enough. Joe Ingles did enough. Bojan Bogdanovich did enough to keep him in that number one seed. So I think he did his job. Yeah, he's taking 20 shots a game. And it cracked me up when he took thirty three against Golden State, <laughs> but uh, you know he is is definitely somebody that they rely on heavily, and um, that's gonna be big time for the postseason.
1: So possibly the closest category of the year is gonna be Coach of the Year.
0: Lot. Lot, lot of candidates for this one.
1: Well, I think there's three in particular, and I think a lot of people would agree, but there's there's a couple other ones that you could easily put in here. So the ones that I would say didn't make my top three and maybe some others, like Doc Rivers, I think, could be in there. Um But it, the, the ones that are at the top, I think most people that you hear talking about it are Tom Thibodeau, Monty Williams, Quinn Snyder in that top three. And yeah. it's funny because like
0: Nate McMillan should be in the damn conversation, by the
1: way. He probably should be as well. Um, mm-hmm. or at least, you know, honorable mention kind of a thing. And it's funny because, like, when you look at Quinn Snyder, I don't see a lot of people picking him. They put him in the top three, but all he did was lead a Utah Jazz team to the best record in the league. And I know people say, Well, yeah, they should, they've got a lot of the same guys back but he changed the style that they played um, from last year and that he embraced shooting more threes, shooting more threes earlier in the shot clock, doing it on breaks. So he he changed their style of offense from what they did last season to this season, even with the same personnel. He gave more of a green light to, to Clarkson coming off the bench. So I'll give him a lot of credit for that. However, if it's me, it comes down to Tibbs and Monty Williams, you know. Looking yes. at the Suns from last season and where they came this year has been just this big turnaround. But I can't help myself and you not the Tibbs. tibbs. <laughs> I you just gotta care it. it
0: guys. Let, let's be honest with each other. Did you see the New York Knicks being the fourth seed this season? No.
1: Did you see them winning more than forty games this year? And the, way the answer is no. Yeah. <laughs> and when you look at like. What coach had the biggest impact on the team? The Knicks scream Tom Thibodeau. I mean, if you closed your eyes and didn't know like that Tom Thibodeau was the coach of this team and you just watched the way this team played, you would have to say like, oh, is that a Tom Thibodeau coach team? And
0: because, if you didn't know that you'd see Derrick Rose and Taj Gibson out there and be like, "Oh, yeah, that, that, is, that is definitely yeah, a tip to too."
1: But I mean, it just screams his style, his mentality, his fingerprints are all over that team. And you know, I Monty has done a great job, Quinn has done a great job, but it, it just it's sitting out there, and I can't help but say, like, when it comes to what kind of impact the coach had on his team and the the fingerprints he has all over the Knicks, to me, it's tips.
0: Right. It's it's almost reminiscent of those old school boost teams, you know, like yeah, and we've we've talked about this quite a bit, but it's just the the, the buy-in and the belief and the physicality and the, the my favorite part about watching Knicks games is just hearing Tibbs bark. You you can hear him in the background, uh, uh because back uh, he's so damn loud. Um but it, it is a buy-in, it is a it is a true belief that these Knicks have. And it, it, that's what's going to make them a tough out in these playoffs. Um, I'm looking forward to that series, like I was saying before. Um, but but Tibbs, as far as this coach of the year race, I think he's, I don't want to say he's the clear number one, but I think he's the number one.
1: So defensive player of the year. Um, oh boy. I, th- I think this is a very interesting argument. Oh boy. Um, because I guess it just depends on what you value. Are you looking at... Kind of the traditional uh you know, big man way they can control the paint and dominate from in there. Or are you looking at somebody that can be a little bit more versatile and go, you know, guard the perimeter and then get inside a little bit as well? I got my three. I've got okay, my three, and I won't say them and I'll I'll just say them out of order on purpose. Okay. And tell me if they're the same three. I have Gobert. I have Ben Simmons and I have Bam Adebayo.
0: That is literally my three. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad you went first. Um, but what order do you have them in? I have Rudy winning it.
1: I have, I have Ben. Rudy. I have Ben Simmons winning it.
0: Okay, there you go. So I have actually in this order, I have Rudy. I have Ben Simmons, and then I have Bam. Bam made a one hell of a, a surge to get into there.
1: Yeah. I, I have Bam third um, yeah. as well, but I have Gobert second.
0: Okay, very good, very that, good.
1: That's going to be a coin flip, and Gobert is going to take it like um, you know a sign of disrespect. If I mean a huge sign of disrespect. Well,
0: he always does that, but luckily he's pretty much been tuning out the noise this year, and that's exactly why the the, the Jazz are where they're at. Yeah. Uh, but again, as I was mentioning, how you know while Donovan Mitchell's been out, that they've needed to. continue to win and stay on top. Uh, He is a very big part of that. And uh, in that game against Golden State, I can't tell you how many times I just saw Rudy standing in the paint. A guard had the ball in his hands, had an open lane with Gobert standing there, and he just decided to pass it out. (laughs) It's just, it's the presence. It's the altering of decision-making and altering of shots. Uh, The ability to crash the defensive glass Uh, and it's just, he's such a game changer in that area. Um, and, and a lot, you know, a lot of the, you know, the, the people that look at him and say, Oh, what, what, what is, what else does he do? Uh, I think that he's an improved offensive player, uh, you know, shooting nearly, uh, 70% from the field this year, 67.5%. It's a, it's a really good, uh, you know, interior presence. And, uh, it's, it's hard to argue against him. But when you look at the case of Ben Simmons, I understand it. Uh, you know, he's tasked with the, the the difficult assignments every night. Somebody who really is physical gets in your grill. I remember watching a game against the Suns where he was just all over Devin Booker and forcing turnovers and uh, and changing the game as well.
1: I just think uh, that when I look is, at Ben... He's
0: going to win a defensive player of the year. Yeah, yeah.
1: When I look at Ben... He can guard positions one through four and sometimes five, mm-hmm. and he's done it this year, and he's been so effective doing it that to me that that's just that little thing that gets him over the top to me. But I I would not be surprised or upset if Gobert won the award because, like you said, though sometimes some of the numbers that he has done or some of the things that he has done don't show up in numbers because there is that impact where he's basically just scaring people from coming into the lane.
0: Yep. Yep. That like, so if someone looks at like defended field goal percentage, for example, they're going to have less attempts on Gobert because they're just (laughs) deathly afraid of coming into that paint. Uh, the, the bam at a bio thing though. I'm glad you brought that up because you know, a lot of people probably would pick a drew holiday or something like that to be in this category and not discounting anything that drew holiday has done because drew holiday is one hell of a defender. Uh, and we just mentioned that, but I think that bam took another step this year in that category. Yeah. Just extremely versatile, uh, really good laterally moving his feet. Um, he, he, you know, averaged a steal a game and a block a game, both uh, his versatility to be able to guard now out on the perimeter and keep up with those smaller guys is very impressive An ability to, to switch. And that, I think the versatility in that, because go bear has a, tr- you know, if we're arguing against a go Barrett's that he can't go out on the perimeter and get blown by, they have to keep up with those guys, you know, like, so he definitely deserves love in this DPOI conversation. No question about it.
1: I agree. So let's get to the MVP where I think it is a loaded class. Uh, a lot of deserving candidates. I think most people are going to agree. We know who's going to win. So let me let me bring it this way, okay? I th- I think if we look at the top seven, and by that I'm talking about Jokic, Embiid, Giannis, Steph, CP three, Randall, Lillard. In your top five, which two of those seven guys do not make the cut?
0: Oh... Uh... You say them again.
1: Jokic, Embiid, Giannis, Steph, CP3, Julius Randle, Damian Lillard. I think those have got to be the top seven.
0: I would probably boot Lillard and I would probably boot Chris Paul.
1: I agree. And that is a very tough thing. Um, because Chris Paul has had such an impact on that team. However, when I look at numbers, numbers still have to matter for something. And he's averaging 16 points a game and nine assists. And you cannot question the impact that Chris Paul has had on the Suns this year and how good of a team they have become. But when I look for MVP, I need a little bit more from raw numbers. I mean, record has got to be something, but when it comes to raw numbers, I don't think he gets there.
0: No, I don't think so either. And also, you know, Nikias brought this up on his podcast and in an article actually. But when you look at the narrative of Chris Paul, turning the, the sons into a 51 win team, we can't also leave out the fact that they went undefeated in the bubble. They were missing DeAndre Ayton for 25 games last year and they were already kind of on that upswing. So Chris Paul could have been that guy to push him over the edge, but he's not solely responsible for that. And you have to look at Devin Booker who had a tremendous year. Um, So that is a little more narrative. No, don't get me wrong. Uh, He has definitely been the MVP of that team and probably yeah he's probably top 7 like you were saying um, but yeah those ones you mentioned it's tough it's it's so tough to, to narrow it down but Jokic I think it is is the, the far and away favorite just because the Nuggets should probably not be the third seed.
1: Well, when you look at him Jokic and the numbers he's put up all season plus he played in every game. And, yep. and that's the part that puts him over the top. Like when you look at Embiid, he missed what? 21 games, which
0: sucked for him cuz that was remember that's actually one of our clips as I had Embiid was the was the one that had the edge on him,
1: but um people wanted to forget Giannis and which
0: isn't fair.
1: It's not fair. I mean, he is the two-time MVP. He has
0: won two in a row. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah.
1: but I mean, he missed 21 games, but still a guy that put up 28 points and 11 rebounds, and all he did was lead Milwaukee to 46 wins. Um So he's in there. Curry, obviously, being you know the scoring leader, and you know a Warriors team without Clay Thompson, and even then, could have struggled, and still got this team to 39 wins with that roster is quite the accomplishment. And then looking what Julius Randle did in New York, you know, with that roster, I mean, I mean, it, it, it's tough. to Even you know, get to a, a top five, but I I have to reward Randle for what he's done with that team. And, and when you look at the overall talent in that roster and everything that he has meant, to that team. So, I'm with you Jokic wins. Here's my top 5 in my in order, okay? And tell me if yours is different. Jokic is 1, Embiid 2, Steph Curry 3, Giannis 4, Julius Randle 5.
0: I would go Jokic, Embiid, yeah, Steph. Giannis Randall I would say yeah so there you go I had to think about it myself and I was like that's actually probably a good order I
1: I kind of wanted to reward Randall and put him higher but like you can't deny the raw numbers that Giannis has
0: you know the funny part too is is we're completely excluding a Luca we're completely excluding you know like
1: Kawhi
0: yeah Kawhi Leonard Oh, I know.
1: Trust me. That's why I look at this. I'm going, I gave seven. And I think that's going to end up being the top seven. And mind you, we didn't even talk about Damian Lillard, who was out. Like, he was probably number seven. But
0: the stretch that he had in freaking January and February. Yeah, I mean,
1: all he did was put up 29 points a game and lead Portland to 42 wins, you know, and in the sixth seed. But, yeah, Luca, who gets off to a slow start and then just pours it on the rest of the season – you know, and takes his team all the way to a, a five seed, you know, Kawhi once again, this quiet, you know, season, but just puts up amazing stats and um, you know, the Clippers are the four seed, you know, in the, in the West. Um, and then, I mean, they get just as many wins as Denver, who's a three seed, just the tiebreaker there. So um, there, there's a lot of good candidates. It, it's really, really tough this season. And by the way, here's an, a weird anomaly. Um, the team that's, you know, the betting favorite to win the championship didn't have anybody in the top three, (laughs) top five, top seven, maybe top eight, top nine, because Kevin Durant missed so many games, James Harden missed so many games and, you know, Kyrie Irving had a very, very good season. He's a 50, 40, 90 guy.
0: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Absolutely.
1: But he's he missed some games, not as many as the other two. But he also took a couple of sabbaticals and different things, you know, so. It is what it is there, you know. Um, But I mean, you just look at the overall talent that's out there. It's incredible.
0: Yes, absolutely. I have one thing I want to mention before we get out of here. Okay, go with that. Do it. Let's do it. Unheralded player of the year. I saw this stat the other day, and I was like, got to mention this. He is the only official player in NBA history to have a 50 50 season with a minimum of 100 attempts. Who is that player,
1: Brian? I saw the stat, so I've, I've cheated, so I'll let you give it away.
0: It is Tony Snell. Yeah. Tony Snell of the Atlanta Hawks. Unbelievable. Great accomplishment for him. You want to talk about a guy who's been around the league and, and just found a, just a niche on every team he's been on? That's somebody that, you know, he can come up with a big shot for you in the playoffs. He can come up with a big shot for you uh, any time of the game. Just goes out there, does his job. No one talks about him because his numbers are not jumping off the page. But a first-round pick in 2013, been around since then, makes a difference. You know, that, that that deserves praise. So good for Tony Snow. Had to mention that.
1: That's incredible when it comes to the free throw thing. Isn't it? He's, he's 100%. How do you go 100% from the line? I mean, I know you don't go to the line very much, but
0: still, like you'd think that mentally there's got to be a moment where you're like, uh... He hasn't missed a free throw in two seasons, dude. Do you know? He went 11-11 yep. this year. He went uh, 32-32 yep. last year.
1: He needs to get to the line more often. <laughs> Maybe that'll skew the percentages a little bit. Maybe. But, I mean, I mentioned, you know, like, you know, the fact that Kyrie Irving went 50-40-90. Uh, Steph Curry almost did it. The only reason he didn't is because he takes so many threes.
0: Yeah, when you're taking like 23s a game. That, hey, he took
1: 22 in the game against the Grizz, if I remember <laughs> right.
0: Oh, man, I can't wait to watch that game against the Lakers, man. But I think that's a good jumping off point because that that's probably going to be the next time we see each other is when that game is over and we'll know who's in the playoffs. You know, we'll know who's in the playoffs by that point. They'll be into game one, maybe some game tubes by the next time we record. But uh, I'm ext- I'm extremely excited, man. I'm very excited for this week. We're doing a watch-along party on the site. Yes, we are. We're doing a watch-along. Um, I believe it's Wednesday for that game. Um, so definitely tune in to Twitter and and follow along. At Basketball News, missing the A and the handle, but it's Basketball News, if that's the way to, to put it. Uh, I'm also on Twitter, at Davies. on Twitter, at, at Brian Fritz. But remember, keep it at 94 part of the basketballnews.com podcast network, nine other great podcasts for you to listen to. And uh, you're going to want to tune into those, especially the Rex Chapman show on uh, Tuesday. He's got Rick Pitino as his guest. How awesome is that? Rick Pitino coming on to talk a little hoop. That's a great, great guest to get others. Like you have Kenyon Martin and Jada kiss with need and unfiltered. You've got the Alex Kennedy podcast. You got the Sheridan show. The Postcast with James Posey, Dishes and Dines with the Ladies, the Rematch with Etan Thomas. Can't miss any of those podcasts. They're all very, very good and very fun to listen to. So you could say what you want about us, but uh, we've got some great, great partners on, us, on this podcast network. But like I was saying, you can find us on social media at those handles I mentioned earlier. I'm also on Instagram at Spin Davies. He's on Instagram at It's Brian Fritz. You can find us on Spotify, Apple other podcast places that I can't think of right now. <laughs> and you can like us, subscribe to us, give us a comment, review, interact with us on social media, please. We love it. We like to start conversations and hopefully get into healthy debates, but uh, it's been a really fun season with you, Brian. I, I, I've had a great time and I'm excited for this, this playoff run here. And uh, should be fun. should be fun. So absolutely. In time for that, saying that we'll sign off. And talk to you when the playoffs are off and running. And we'll see if Brian's Lakers are still in it.